Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Asia Town Voice. Asia Town Voice is an hour-long nonprofit program on WJCU's 88.7 FM radio. We're on every Sunday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. This hour-long program provides an inside look at the Asian Pacific Americans' community and their culture, education, and their events going on in Northeast Ohio. Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that listeners will enjoy our program and give their support to WJCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. I am your host, Yin, and I'm here with Johnny Wu. Hello. And our guests today are Barbara Yue and... I'm sorry, Barbara Lom and Debbie Yue. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Whoops. I, uh, yeah, I have both of their resumes in front of me, and I was just reading them as I was finishing up our intro to the talk show. And, um, well, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Barbara, do you want to go first? Um, sure. I'm Barbara Lum. Um, I am currently the president-elect of the Asian Bar uh, here in Cleveland. Um, I'm also a fourth-year associate at Thompson Hine, which is a law firm in Cleveland. Um, our offices in our in Key Tower. Um, and I came to Cleveland from, by way of several different cities, but originally <laughs> from California um, about four years ago. Okay. And my name is Debbie Yu. I'm the uh, current president of the Asian American Bar Association of Ohio. I'm a partner at the law firm of Gallagher Sharp. Uh, our main office is here in Cleveland, and I primarily practice in insurance uh, defense and general liability litigation. So I typically represent companies and people who are being sued, although uh-huh. our company handles <laughs> many other things. Gotcha. Now, um, I don't really quite under differen- understand the difference between the president and a president-elect. Um, well, the, pr- uh, the president-elect is the person who will be stepping up once uh, once I step off. Okay. And do we know when that'll be? No, not yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, Soon. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it was just something I didn't wasn't really sure of. Um, so thank you for clearing up that terminology. Um, Barbara, you said that you uh, lived in California before Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Why the transition? What brought you to Cleveland? Um, it was a long, circuitous route. I originally grew up in California, mm-hmm. and I went to college on the East Coast at Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I worked in New York City, and I worked in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, as a paralegal in both cities, and then went to law school in Boston, and then I came to Cleveland. Because so. of, you know, the wonderful weather, right? Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Debbie, what about you? Uh, I was born in Pittsburgh, and also I came to Cleveland in a very circuitous way. Um, <laughs> we, growing up, we lived all over the place, from Southern California to Tennessee um, to most recently Maryland. And uh, I came to Cleveland for law school and uh, stayed afterwards. Oh, wonderful! And uh, where did you study? Uh, I went to law school at Cleveland Marshall and undergraduate at Carnegie Mellon University. Oh, wow! So, what do you guys think of Cleveland? I actually really love it. Um, it's funny because I have a lot of friends who are in California still, and they oh, keep yeah. asking me <laughs> when I'm coming home because obviously yeah. I'm not going to stay. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I even am coming home. Um, I, just there's so many comparisons to the other cities that I've lived in um, and cost of living, the, you know, lack of commute and mm-hmm. um, the way you can get in, really involved in a lot of the um, community activities mm-hmm. so easily in Cleveland mm-hmm. is, you know, it's a huge draw. And compared to a lot of the big cities, you really just don't get those opportunities. Um, so I, I really love it here. Now, speaking of community activities, does the Asian American Bar Association do uh, any activities in around Cleveland? Do they participate or sponsor in activities? Uh, yes, we do. We do get involved in the community. We've partnered with Legal Aid and Asian Services in Action for naturalization clinics. Okay. Are you guys uh, on the board of Asia Services in Action? Uh, I am not. I'm not either. Oh, okay. Well, well, it's great that you help out. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have, um, I know that Elaine So, who's our vice president of, or president. Vice uh, president of membership. Of membership is okay. actually on the board of Asia. Okay. Yeah, I uh, helped her um, run a voter registration drive once. Mm-hmm. So what is about, what is Asian American Bar Association? Why do you guys started this? Uh, it was started over 20 years ago in 1992 by, uh, I believe, by I believe nine attorneys who just wanted to bring together the Asian legal community 
for professional development and to get involved in the community. Uh, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary and had our big gala in February. Uh, we brought in Justice Goodwin Liu from California and celebrated, had a great uh, anniversary celebration. Oh, yeah. How did that go? I know you guys were trying to set up uh, an event with a lot of the local schools. Unfortunately, none of us th- with the kids either. They were in school or there was Chinese school day or something and they couldn't make it. But how did it go? It went really well. We mm-hmm. actually got uh, really, really great feedback, really great turnout. The event actually consisted of two days um, on the first day, we well, basically we brought in Justice Goodwin Liu, who's the um, an associate justice on the Supreme Court of California. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got an interesting background because he was nominated um, to the Ninth Circuit by uh, Barack Obama, oh, okay. President Obama, and um, he basically his his um, nomination was filibustered for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was just you know obviously the politics that really got him. Um, and he withdrew his nomination and almost immediately thereafter was nominated to the Supreme Court of California. So he has an interesting story to tell. Um, and we brought him in primarily to kind of show the law students in the community that, um, you know, being an Asian American on the bar, um, is something that's attainable. And even though there are, I believe, only two, um, justices in the entire state of Ohio that are Asian American. Mm. Um, it's something that, you know, the Asian bar in Cleveland um, and in there's another Asian bar actually um, in central Ohio. Okay. It's something that, you know, has come to our attention and I think is, is one of our um, kind of goals to, to help out the legal community, the Asian American legal community in Ohio. Mm. Um, so this event was basically, we had him fly in um, and it was co-sponsored by, the city club mm-hmm. and so they had him speak at a lunchtime friday session um and then that evening he spoke at our gala the asian Amer- asian american bar association gala mm-hmm. um we had a really great turnout i believe we had how many people did we have debbie uh, like we had over 100? 160 so we were oh. we were sold out in we sold out really quickly, Definitely. and um, you know, and we got great feedback. the The talk that he gave uh, really appealed to lawyers, non lawyers, mm-hmm. law students. Um, everyone thought he was a really personable speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day, we actually the Asian Bar partnered with um, Case Law School okay. to put on um, their uh, Midwest Apulsa Conference, which was the fourth annual. Um, unfortunately, Justice Liu couldn't uh, mm-hmm. stay for the second day of that, but um, it, it turned out to be a really great event. Uh, we had a great uh, judicial panel, though, at the conference. Uh, Ohio Supreme Court Justice Maureen O'Connor was there, along with uh, Chief Judge um, Solomon J- um, Oliver Jr. from mm-hmm. the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Ohio, and Judge uh, Karen Moore from the Sixth Circuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were on a panel, and they discussed kind of how they became judge and what their background was, and advice to the lawyers and students in the audience, uh, encouraging them to consider a career in the judiciary and uh, sort of giving some advice in terms of how they got to where they are. Now, Debbie, I remember I asked you once, um, what made you want to become an attorney? And you told me this, this fascinating story about how you first really loved physics, but then it was through a high school project? Uh, it was. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I started off at Carnegie Mellon as a, phys- as a physics major, mm-hmm. um, but during my senior year in high school, I did an internship at a law firm, mm-hmm. and it was just by chance. We needed to do, I needed to do a senior project, which is a month-long internship at a company or, or wherever, and it just so happens that we knew someone who was an attorney, and he uh, took me on for the month, and I really enjoyed it. I never even considered it, and I, and I, and after that, I actually spent a couple more summers interning with him. Oh, wow. And he's, <laughs> I definitely consider him to be my mentor. You didn't go to Seoul in high school, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, the reason that I ask is that um, my sister actually did an internship with Debbie. And thank you very much, by the way. Uh, uh, she said she had a lot of fun. She learned a lot about Cleveland in itself. So She was terrific. She was <laughs> very bright, and she mm-hmm. was definitely helpful. Well, definitely. And uh, pretty soon, Johnny's going to have my brother under his wing. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and we were joking about how that those are the only two siblings I have. So <laughs> any of my other friends out there, don't worry, I don't. They won't. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if you have so many brothers and sisters, then everybody can top out. <laughs> 
Well, you know, uh, maybe one day my brother will be letting somebody intern on how to be the panda for the Cleveland Asian Festival. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which, so, by the way, is coming up on May 18th and 19th. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Barbara, uh, how, why did you decide to be a, an attorney also? Uh, it was pretty serendipitous. I, I basically thought that I was going to be a doctor, like most Asian mm-hmm. children <laughs> for some reason think they will be. Um, so all through high school and half of college, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I took all the pre-med rec- prereqs. I went through, you know, like organic chemistry and physics and all the terrible classes, and I realized that I hated it. Um, so after completing all of those, uh, I completely switched my major from biology to English, um, and I had no idea what I was going to do with an English major. And I actually just randomly got an internship in New York City at a law firm. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I'll make some money. It'll be really fun. And I'm not going to be a lawyer. But um, <laughs> I, I went there and I, I did it for a term. And I was in an employee benefits um, and executive compensation group for an entire um, term at Sherman Sterling in New York. And I thought it was the most boring thing ever. Um, (laughs) But I thought that it was really interesting um, in terms of like the higher, I don't know, just kind of like, oh, you're working with all these really rich people. (laughs) You know, you're advising them of how they should be basically investing their money. And if they have a problem, um, you can advise them how to get out of it, basically, Mm -hmm. Um, which was my, you know, very high level assessment of it. Um, I knew that I didn't want to do executive compensation. But I was like, oh, that might be interesting. Um, and then I kind of, you know, didn't really give it a second thought. I didn't really pursue it as a career. Uh, after I graduated from college, I knew that I wanted to go back to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking for jobs, and I found another paralegal job. And actually did that after law school. And I worked at um, Corvath, Swain & Moore, which is um, a pretty, it's a really well-known law firm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also known for, you know, basically working their associates to death. And I, I mean, yeah. a lot of law firms are like that. And I kind of, it's funny because when I tell people that story, they're like, oh my gosh, and you, after that, decided to go to law school and become a lawyer. And I, I liked that because I knew what I was getting into. Um, and I knew what basically kind of the worst um, uh, you know, practice of law would be. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Cravath is the worst, mm-hmm. but I knew that I wouldn't want to work in New York City. I knew that I wouldn't want to do, you know, the, I guess, the kind of, like, the setup that they have, which is to put a lot of associates on one giant um, matter and then work on that for basically 18 months and mm-hmm. then switch you to something else. So you basically are just focusing 100% mm-hmm. on your one task. Um, but because I had like a science background, um, I knew that I wanted to kind of combine that with practicing law of some sort so that you'd have the advising aspect, Mm -hmm. you'd have the writing aspect, which I really liked being an English major. Um, And then I figured if I could put my like science background into that some way, it would be really interesting. Um, And so after that, I got another paralegal job in D.C. Mm-hmm. and started working um, doing, like, FDA regulatory matters. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we were working on a really big client that was being investigated or something with the FDA for um, for not false advertising, but their advertising didn't meet the FDA standards. Okay. So they kind of had to scramble, and we had to advise them on how to, well, I guess, the attorneys at that time had to advise them on how to respond to the FDA, how to make their advertisement advertisements meet the you know regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really really interesting. And then the litigation aspect is you know people bringing mass class actions and saying they were injured by a product, mm-hmm. um, and how you know how does a company respond to that? How do they protect themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was really interesting. So that kind of pushed me in the direction of actually wanting to combine all those things and be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did go to law school 
We're just like, well, I mean, go ahead. Tell no, 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 I know. It's a long, long story. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. I told you it was like very circuitous. It was just like completely That's not right. what I thought what I would be doing. <laughs> I um, was holding my breath like, oh, so this is what brought her to Cleveland. <laughs> oh, wait, no, not yet. But no, go ahead. No, I know. It just keeps going. <laughs> no, but I mean, long story short is that I went to law school um, thinking I would do some sort of like work, pro bono work, like mm-hmm. helping people. Um and I found that I really liked the science aspect, really liked the product aspect, and that's actually what I do now. So I do product liability litigation. Yeah. Long, uh, long I, story. <laughs> I also see here on your resume you do white-collar criminal matters. I do. Is that, that sounds like, you know, like a TV drama show. Is it, does it sometimes get like that? Um, <laughs> you know, it hasn't actually been as exciting as that. Oh. <laughs> um, it, it, it's like the more of the paperwork that you don't see on the TV uh, shows. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so... So. <laughs> so what job was it, if we're allowed to ask, that that actually brought you into Cleveland? I actually applied here because I was dating somebody at the time who was from Akron. Okay. Um, and so I was like, oh, I really like this firm. Um, and I applied there and got it. Oh, so. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think about Cleveland? Um, do you think there's a growing Asian presence in the legal and judiciary field? Uh, there's definitely a growing presence in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that when the Asian American Bar Association of Ohio started, um, on the Ohio Supreme Court um, application, you can self-select in terms of you know what your race is. And actually, for a long time, a- there wasn't even an option for Asian or Asian oh. Americans. Oh, really? It was just other. <laughs> and so uh, we we do know that there were about 190 others, maybe mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. And then now there are over 500 mm-hmm. who are self-selected as being of Asian descent. Now, on our last show, um, Jason uh, Huen from WKIC and uh, Johnny and I, we discussed the bamboo ceiling, which is like this optimal level where Asian Americans can reach and they can't seem to go any higher. Do you see that happening in the legal and judiciary field, or is it more that there there just haven't been that many Asians, you know, as driven in that field? Uh, at least That's a tough the, question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least in the uh, in the judiciary. In Ohio, uh, Barbara mentioned that there are two judges who are of Asian descent here in Ohio. Um, one is in Stark County Court of Common Pleas in the probate division, and the other one is in the um, fourth uh, fourth district Court of Appeals. And she was actually recently elected. So I don't think that it was necessarily a bamboo ceiling, but perhaps perhaps the uh, Asian attorneys just aren't looking at um, a career in the judiciary as an option. Mm-hmm. And now with two uh, two judges who have been elected in Ohio, perhaps they'll see that as an option. Okay. I think also, I mean, there is a lower amount of just Asian attorneys in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So it does make it harder to, you know, say, well, does it reflect the amount of Asian American attorneys and the population of Asians in Ohio? Um, because there really just aren't as many uh, Asian attorneys. Mm -hmm. Um, Another interesting thing about Ohio is that the state um, judges are elected, Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily how it's done in other states. So that might be a factor, too, you know, whether Asians get involved in politics to the same degree or, you know, I don't know. How are the justices um, selected in other states? Like let's say California or New York. Uh, some some are appointed, oh, okay. uh, appointed by the governor. Others are uh, are elected. In Ohio, the state judges are elected, and the federal judges are appointed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I imagine a lot of people probably don't know outside of Ohio if <laughs> they have never left Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Now um, you're both Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I know there was a mistake on my sheet here that Johnny made. <laughs> He's shaking his head at me. <laughs> He's ignoring me now. Okay. <laughs> but um, in growing up in a Chinese family, how did they feel about uh, your career choice? I know, um, Barbara, you mentioned that y- you thought you were going to be a doctor. And undoubtedly, you know, your parents probably had a large factor in that. That's my guess because mine did. So I, they wanted me to be a doctor, too. It didn't happen. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but how did they feel in your choice to become attorneys? Um, My family, well, I guess as when I was in college... Um, 
you know, and I switched to being an English major as opposed to having some sort of science-based major. They were horrified. I mean, they were like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> what do you do with an English major? Are you going to be a, like a professor or a journalist? And mm -hmm. I was like, no, I don't want to do either of those things. And I don't really have a plan. And so, you know, I was just kind of like, well, what do you do with that? Um, and when I went to law school, I don't know that they knew, you know, if that was a good career choice or a bad career choice. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of thought it was kind of along the same lines as government work, which, mm -hmm. you know, is kind of respected, but um, still didn't know what to do. And then I think when my grandma figured out it was a Juris Doctorate, she was like, oh, you're a doctor now. <laughs> so then it was fine. It was Aww. it was approved. So, yeah. Um, my parents have been very supportive. Uh, I, I think that I've been very fortunate that my parents don't didn't have a lot of preconceived notion, or if they did, they really didn't project that on me. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad is a nuclear engineer, and I think my parents were happy when I was going to go into, into the science field, but when I switched majors in college, they were happy that I found something that I wanted to do and that I enjoyed. Um, so they've, they've been supportive. In fact, they were the ones who helped me find the internship during my senior year, and mm -hmm. it was actually a good friend who is, uh, who is my mentor. So I think that they were just um, happy that I can find something that I, I enjoyed, and, uh, and, and they're happy about that. Okay. Well, thank you both. Um, I think we're going to take a short break right now, and then we will come back and uh, talk some more about upcoming events, and as well as any uh, upcoming events, um, the, bar, uh, sorry, the Asian American Bar Association of Ohio has coming up.
And we are back to Asia Town Voice, and our good friend Alex Alarcon has uh, stopped by again to be on the show. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello, hey, Deb. Hello, Barb. Now, Alex, to earn your place on the show, you have to recite the entire paragraph on what Asia Town Voice is about. Can you do it? Um, uh, Ready, maybe go. Later. Asia Town Voice is a show that will benefit all Asians living in the Cleveland community in Northeast Ohio. <laughs> Good job. And who, who hosts this show? It is hosted by our lovely and venerable Yin Tang and our awesome uh, Johnny Wu. <laughs> I mean the radio station. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> JCW, JCU88 points. All right. I don't know. We'll edit that later. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, we don't need to edit it. I think it, it, we could probably keep that in there. Um, for those of you joining in, this is Asia Town Voice, and Asia Town Voice is an hour long nonprofit program on WJCU's. 88.7 FM radio. We're on every Sunday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. And this hour-long program provides an inside look at the Asian Pacific and Americans. I'm sorry, at this Asian Pacific Americans community, their culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that listeners will enjoy our program and give their support to WJCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. And again, we're here with uh, Barbara and Debbie. And uh, I, I left out their last names on purpose this time so I don't get them mixed up. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> and uh, we were going to ask uh, if the uh, Asian American Bar Association of Ohio has any upcoming events or if there are any past events. Uh, well, we just had our 20th anniversary gala and conference, which Barbara had spoken about. Mm -hmm. And in looking forward, we will be having uh, a general meeting sometime soon. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have ongoing programs like our mentor program. We find it important to uh, mentor young lawyers and also law students, so we provide that opportunity to mentor if, if they sign up. Um, we also will be, uh, we are also in discussions to host the Central Region Conference Ooh. in 2014, which is uh, one of NAPAVA, uh, our National Asian Pacific American Bar Association's uh, regional conference. So we're hoping to bring that to Cleveland to Wonderful. showcase Cleveland. So if somebody wanted more information about this conference or how to be a part of the uh, mentoring program, um, who would they contact? Is there a website that they can go to? Yes, we actually do have a website. Um, it mm -hmm. is at www.aabaohio.org. Uh, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a pretty basic website, but it will get you in contact with us. We do have a distribution list, an mm -hmm. email list. Um, we have a Facebook page. We also have LinkedIn. Um, and the board members regularly check all of those. Uh, probably the best way to get in touch with us is um, through the website and okay. has all of our contact information on it. As well as membership forms. As well yes. as membership <laughs> forms. Absolutely. So if uh, a young attorney or you know, even an older attorney wants to be a part of this board, they just need to go to the website, which is aabaohio.org. Right. And then they can send an email, which will go to one of you two. Right. Or Elaine or somebody. Exactly. One of our board members <laughs> yeah. will pick it up. And, <laughs> and then they'll be in contact with you. Mm -hmm. Um. So I heard that, uh, Debbie, you have a, a, an attorney face, a trial face. And uh, those of us who know Debbie, <laughs> she's, she's very soft-spoken most of the time. If you're sitting at, on the other side of the room and you're in a meeting, sometimes you have to kind of cup your ear. But I heard that when you go to trial, you have a different side of you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> well, at trial... <laughs> Um, yep. Yeah, at, at trial, I suppose that, uh, you know, I do speak louder because I, um, you know, I definitely need to be able to advocate my client's position in court and it, uh, all, all of my trials are before jury. Mm -hmm. So it is important to project. I and, see. <laughs> and I, I guess what I'm getting at is you're, you're, I, I've known you for quite a while and you're such a nice person. I can't see you in a very, um, aggressive position. Oh. <laughs> do you have a um, like a ritual? Like, a ritual? do you need like a few <laughs> minutes by yourself in order to get into the right mode? Like some actors, they need a few seconds to go to go into that to that mode. And I think maybe uh, Alex and I were probably sticking to a stereotype, probably projected from TV, that all attorneys are <laughs> somewhat aggressive and can be nasty, and that's probably not true, huh? <laughs> well, there's n there's no real. Uh, <laughs> 
no real ritual. Uh, by the time you get to trial, you definitely know your case and you mm-hmm. uh, you are advocating zealously for your client. Mm-hmm. So I've been very fortunate um, that uh, most of my trial results have been have been very good, and my clients have been very happy. Hmm. Um, but I, I think in terms of prepar- in terms of the trial work and just daily living, it might be. I, I find it to be a little bit different. I don't know, Barbara, if you if you feel that way too. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that it's as you know as you see on TV. I mean, yeah. none of the trials that I've seen have ever been as you know contentious or. You're never really surprised by anything that comes up at trial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't, it's not like Perry Mason where you can walk up there and just say, you never seen this document? Like, yeah. You? Oh. <laughs> this is, you're, you're, you're done. <laughs> We're going to convict you now. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of paperwork beforehand. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows what the other side has. Um, in addition, unlike uh, TV, the trial doesn't last an hour. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, I actually was um, on jury duty once, and I had a blast. I thought it was so much fun. Yeah, me as well. I was on oh, jury really? duty last uh, February. Ooh. What, what were you on? What kind of? I just waited at the waiting room. Oh. <laughs> no, I actually got to be on a jury. It was really exciting. I thought it was exciting. It was just a work injury suit, which is pretty lame. I was hoping it was a criminal Mine trial. Mine was a traffic but accident. Oh. Oh, I you wasn't were. selected. You yeah. were on well, a... because I work for Progressive Insurance. Oh. I think that's why they avoided me. <laughs> so you actually got called in and then interviewed yes, by the attorneys. Yes. I see. Yeah. They probably wouldn't let you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, okay, but be, um, coming back to uh, uh, Debbie and Barbara here, um, is there anything coming up for the professional development or any, any uh, events coming up to help any of these students? Uh, other than uh, we do have that mentorship opportunity if students or young lawyers want to sign up, uh, we do have mentors who are signed up and ready to help. Awesome. Right. And we also have, um, we're going to be having a general meeting coming up soon, which is a great way for um, students and you know, new attorneys to mm-hmm. get involved and do a lot of networking just to meet people in the area. Okay. Um, and they'll, you know, they're at that. They can start um, getting involved in the committees that we have. Um, the committees we have are actually, we have a networking committee, which kind of sets up, you know, happy hours and, mm-hmm. and that type of, those types of events um, and coordination with other um, bar associations, like other minority bar associations around town. Um, we have a mentorship committee. We have a professional development committee. Um, we have a political and judicial committee, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of getting involved with, um, you know, uh, trying to get Indonesian American <laughs> justice on the bench. Yes. Um, and then we also have a pro bono committee. And like mm-hmm. Debbie said, we've been involved in um, immigration clinics and legal aid advice clinics. So what would the mentoring ship um, program entail? Would uh, would a new... Uh, lawyer or law student just follow you around or do they what would what would what could somebody expect I guess is my question it probably depends on the particular relationship between the mentor mentee uh, when I typically mentor uh, a student or a young lawyer it's it's usually at least a year if not longer mm-hmm. uh, it's just being an additional resource and being able to answer questions and provide advice for whatever comes up Right. And Alex, you were pointing. Did you have a question? Yeah. Um, so after the mentorship, my question leads to, uh, I guess Johnny is also curious, are there different levels of being an attorney, like a partner, a uh, JD, an M? No, it's not an MD. An associate? Yeah, an associate. <laughs> an MD. <laughs> like um, so you could be a doctor and a lawyer. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, typically you're a clerk or an intern, uh, intern probably during high school, um, a clerk during law school, mm-hmm. and uh, after law school, uh, in, uh, at most firms, uh, typically you'll start off as an associate and then move your way up to partner. Right. Um, at, at different corporations, it may be different. Right. Because each, I mean, basically each firm is different. Mm-hmm. Um, like Debbie said, it's a general structure, but the associates... Um, once you know, once you graduate from law school, and if you find a firm, if this is the firm structure, um, if you become an associate, you're basically an employee. Once you become a partner, generally you've you've bought into the practice. You're part owner mm-hmm. of the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, although lawyers can take different paths, you, they can open up their own shop right after law school and. And call themselves a partner immediately. <laughs> yeah. If if, um, if one wants to be a judge, what 
path does he oh, or she question. needs to do? Because, for example, some judges here are elected. In some states, it's not. So, for example, if some a 25-year-old lawyer is coming up and he wants to be a judge, what can he do or what does he need I to do? I think Alex wants to be a judge. That's <laughs> why he's asking. <laughs> <laughs> he wants a gavel. Yes, <laughs> yes. But, but you know, the way he's doing that, I think he wants a bell instead. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Well, I don't, I don't think there's a set path to becoming a judge. I mean, one of the things that we learned on the judicial panel at the conference, um, s- the, the judges, actually most of those judges, they had maybe some private practice. Um, some of them were in the public sector, maybe as a prosecutor, public defender, and some of them taught in academia. Um, right. Well, it's also interesting, too, because so the panel that we had consisted of two federal judges and one um, state judge. Uh, the state judge was Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, the two federal judges were um, Judge Oliver and Judge Karen Nelson Moore. The federal judges in in Ohio and across the nation are appointed. So they were appointed by um, whichever president was in power at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we stated before, in Ohio, um, the state judges are elected. So, you know, it's kind of at the whim of whoever is voting at the time. And that's one of the big debates in Ohio is, you know, is this fair? Because sometimes um, you have a more recognized name, especially in Cuyahoga County, where, you know, people have kind of an Irish bent and they're like, oh, I recognize that name and I'll vote for this person. Whereas they may not have as, you know, many qualifications as the, you know, the other mm-hmm. judge. And it it's just an interesting topic. And there, there's actually several groups around town that are studying this. Um, I know that Judge for Yourself is one of them, which is um, kind of a way for the general public to gain information about uh, people who are on the ballot, mm-hmm. the judges who are up for election. Um, there's also a committee, um, the uh, Task Force for Judicial Excellence, which is um, a subcommittee of the CMBA, which is the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association. And they're also looking at the, the issue of, um, you know, not after the person's been elected, before they're elected. Mm-hmm. How do you determine whether somebody has the qualifications to even get um, a seat at the bar. Um, so it's, there's no real formula. There's nothing where you like put your name in the hat and you move up the ranks. Right. You could be a 25 year old judge or you could be an 80 year old judge. And it kind of just depends on, you know, who, you know, what you've been doing (laughs) and just kind of luck. And there are different levels. I mean, there, there are magistrates and then there are, then there are judges and at different levels of the court. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, name recognition, um, in one of my classes recently, it was kind of like a psychology course, um, my professor mentioned a politician, I can't remember who it was, who wanted to change his name to another politician's family's name to, you know, hopefully to get elected more, but then he was denied that. I can't remember who it was, though, and it's probably a good thing because <laughs> if he or she heard me on the radio, probably wouldn't like it very much, so. But um, do you you probably don't see that very often. It's probably just a bizarre case. Like, I mean, I guess we're just speculating here, but how often do you think people are elected based on name recognition as opposed to, you know, actually well, doing the... I think locally it happens more than some people would like. Really? Although... Organizations like Judge for Yourself, they um, it, it, different bar associations basically have representatives, and they interview the uh, judicial candidates and provide them with written questionnaires mm-hmm. in order to provide uh, more of a uniform, unbiased opinion of whether they recommend a certain candidate or not. And that Judge for Yourself survey and the the results are widely um, circulated before the election. Okay. It's usually in the Plain Dealer and on yeah. websites. And it's an opportunity to try to educate the public and to provide that, uh, uh, you know, neutral, unbiased opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Elaine had voters. a page of that uh, during the voter registration. We were handing out those sheets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's very good to have that resource. Right. Because so, sometimes, you know, if everybody's so busy with everyday life, they're not sure exactly what's going on. <laughs> like, everyone wants to make the best decision, obviously. But, um, uh, Debbie, I'm looking at your resume, and it says that you are on a lot of boards. Uh, you're you're you serve on the board of directors for the Carnegie Mellon University Alumni Association. Do you travel out of town for that often? Uh, well, we have uh, we do have meetings and we have work uh, we're working boards. So mm-hmm. 
We uh, we do a lot of the work um, just independently and through conference mm-hmm. calls, but we do have meetings on campus twice a year, and then mm-hmm. we have a third meeting elsewhere uh, once a year. Is it like a little party to get to see your old classmates? Uh, no, actually, no. Uh, we, uh, it's basically to uh, to try to foster uh, a vibrant uh, alumni community through uh, regional chapters. I see. And so the board overlooks these chapters as well as other aspects of the alumni um, relationship with the university after they graduate. It also says you're on the management team uh, for the Scholarship Selection Advisory Committee of the Cleveland Foundation. Uh, what does that entail? Uh, well, the Cleveland Foundation I- administers a lot of different scholarships, um, for co- typically for colleges. And uh, through this uh, selection committee, we go through, uh, people apply for different scholarships, and we go through the different applications and look at the different scholarships that are available to, to find out if there's a fit uh, for those particular scholarships and th- and to meet the students' needs. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, you ladies, you, you came from work and you're talking about work. What do you what do you do for fun outside of work? I mean, I guess nonprofit was my way of trying to bridge that conversation. <laughs> um, Debbie, uh, I, I met your husband Vince. He's also an attorney. And was it Alex or somebody who went to school with you guys and said that uh, neither one of you have changed in the time <laughs> that was it? Alex, I can't. Oh, he's he's over there playing. No, I Alex is very busy with a cell phone right now doing <laughs> Facebook stuff. <laughs> are you are you tweeting? Are you Facebooking about the show, Alex? No, well, he just tagged all of us in the in the studio. So. But um, but basically, you know, what do you do for fun? Um, I know. I guess my question is, if your husband's an attorney too, does it feel like you're coming home to work sometimes? Uh, no, we uh, we typically don't talk about work. It's probably very a good much thing. <laughs> Uh, we went to school together, so mm-hmm. you know we we definitely know each other. But then after after work, we try not to talk about work. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a, a hobby that you do? I know last time in here, Jason talked about bocce ball, and I learned what that was because I had no <laughs> idea what bocce ball was. So, <laughs> anything like that? Uh, well, I, I I suppose my my hobby might be uh, community involvement. I'm involved <laughs> in a lot of different community groups. That is true, because I know you help us with uh, the Asian Festival, and um, Johnny uh, also has here that with OCA and Motivations as well. So, yeah, that does keep you pretty busy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I enjoy going to, uh, going to you know, see the see plays and see movies mm-hmm. and, um, and to check out the museums and Ooh, things what like kinda, that. Well, did you go to the uh, International Film Festival? Uh, I did. Yeah? Did you? Did you? What movie did you see? Uh, let me see. I saw one. What was it called? Sugar Wars. It was Sugar Wars and a Fighting Heart. It was a double feature. Yeah, w- I saw you there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> randomly at the same one. world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also saw um, Flower Square, which was a Croatian movie, and mm-hmm. uh, Casting By, which mm-hmm. was a documentary. I unfortunately did not make it to the film oh, festival. Oh. I wanted to, and I had no idea what I would have wanted to see, but I didn't get a chance to make it out there. But uh, what did you think of the movies? Uh, we really like it. We like uh, going to see, at least try to see a few movies uh, every year at the film festival. Did you sponsor any films? Did the uh, Asian American Bar Association sponsor a film? Or? No, no, but Motivations did, oh, okay. which we're That's both right. involved in, That's too. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's good and Alex's as well. <laughs> yeah, Alex is <laughs> having fun over there. But uh, but what about you, Barbara? Do you do anything for funny? I don't um, know. I, I mean... I'm also involved in a lot of things, not as many as Debbie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I have per se a hobby. Um, I did start trying to take golf lessons last summer, oh. which kind of I slacked off a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> that's soon to be my hobby. Um, but yeah, I mean, the same thing. I went to like the Cleveland um, the film festival, saw some movies. Um, what else? I don't know. I, I think I just like turning off my brain after yeah. work. <laughs> I love trying all the new restaurants in, in that oh, too. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Cleveland. Oh, of course, yeah, we haven't talked about food that's yet. That's what I'm gonna say. Now they're talking about restaurants. Good <laughs> segment. So, oh yeah, here we go. So, do you ladies cook at home? Yes. Some. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you would call it cooking. <laughs> well, what do you what do you mean? Uh, Maybe I, you should show us. <laughs> You know, I, I actually tend to, uh, if anything, I tend to bake more. Vince actually does a lot of the cooking, which oh. is fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Aaron, uh, he likes to cook, but it takes him at least an hour to get out the ingredients, sniff all of them. He has this thing where he loves the smell of, like, raw vegetables and spices. And <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, you know, I mean, it's, 
I, I read somewhere that if you have a poor sense of smell, you're probably a psychopath. So it's a good thing he doesn't have a poor <laughs> sense of smell. It was some study I read a couple of years ago. But he likes to sniff all the things, you know, take, put them colorful. He's a very visual person, so he likes to put an array of colors. And he'll start chopping, and then he'll preheat the oven for 10 minutes before he remembers it's on. And then, you know, he, um, he he's one of those people that like to take his time. It's <laughs> probably good that he's a software engineer, so. <laughs> so to uh, Barbara and uh, Debbie, what is your favorite food type? Dishes, rather. We cannot well, mention that's a whole different. <laughs> we, should, we shouldn't mention about restaurant, but we can talk about dishes, right? N well, we can pick a favorite country of food and then the favorite dish from that country. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we can do that. There's too many options now. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Um... I don't I, my favorite food is actually oxtail because oh. my mom makes it and it's amazing and every time I go home she'll make that for me. Do you know what goes in it besides the oxtail? Um I know that there's a bunch of like ginger and onions and soy sauce and I think she like braises it mm -hmm. and then throws in some potatoes and it stews for a really long time. I don't know. It's delicious. It's mm -hmm. really really good. <laughs> Yeah, those slow stews are the best. Mm -hmm. And Debbie, what about you? I don't know if I have a favorite, actually. It just kind of depends on my mood. I, I like I like food. Yeah. So. <laughs> this is making me hungry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have a little bun here. <laughs> we, uh, we made Alex do a, a run earlier today, so. <laughs> yeah, Alex played the intern today for me. He so did. <coughs> we sent him out to get some food. I'm already <laughs> full right now. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's right, because you're eating on the side over there. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for muting. Just so you guys know, in Radio Land, Barbara and I do not have food. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're not provided with snacks. Well, I do. I'm, I've been staring at mine, and I haven't been allowed to eat it yet. You know, because Johnny didn't want to do the talking. So. <laughs> well, you do a, such a great job in talking, so I, I don't do. think you need me to be talking anymore. I do. I'm very sociable. I do like to yeah, talk a lot. Yeah, talk a lot. So. But I am quite hungry. Um, there is a Vietnamese restaurant, and I don't know if I should mention which one because you said we probably shouldn't mention it, but they have what they call Vietnamese raviolis, which is essentially uh, dumplings, but made with, like, really thin rice I uh, just coating. had that. Did you? It's uh, delicious. Isn't it amazing? And you, it you know what? I do. The, yeah, you know what you're trying to I actually, I, I kept, every time I go there, I take a picture of it, and I have to put it on Facebook because I just have to let people know that it's so good. <laughs> um, I can tell you it's one of the Vietnamese restaurants in Asia Town, so just, just, just hit everyone. Name. I mean, we talk about Cafe Tandoor before, oh, that's so true. we yeah. should be able to do it. It's four ninety nine in Asian Town Center. Go there and get the Vietnamese ravioli. Hmm. It's five ninety five for 12 it's delicious. I'm going there. Soon. Wow, <laughs> it's very good. It's like it, I think it's pork, and then also has like a, a kind of like a shrimp flavor, right? Like there's something that's very f flavorful in there. Is it? It's just like it's like a dumpling. It's it's it like a dumpling, but it's better than a dumpling. It's I don't know. There's just an extra ingredient in there. I don't know exactly what it is. <laughs> it might be something to do with fish or fish sauce. I'm mm -hmm. not too sure, but it is mm. very good. But it's not like an overwhelming fishy taste for people right. who don't like seafood. It's just just enough. So, but anyway, um, yes, onto food cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I, out of curiosity here between Barbara and Debbie, does your law practices are do they cross over? Like, you know, I know this. Are you saying have they ever stood up against <laughs> each other in court? Something we actually. Like that. I mean, I think that they overlap a little bit because I remember I had a deposition with someone who works with Debbie. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I actually, no, that's not, I've had depositions with other people from Debbie's firm. But generally, Debbie's practice is more insurance-based, I think. I don't think that we've had cases together. Right. Um, I know you do products liability, and I do typically do insurance defense. I typically represent businesses and insurance companies and their insureds. Right, um, and in mine is generally the company who's who manufactured the product. So. Okay. So it's a little bit different in terms of what we both do, although mm -hmm. our firms do overlap. Right. Yeah. So we've never gone up against each other. We probably... <laughs> maybe we should do, maybe we should do a mock-up show where everybody, all the Asian attorneys, can fight. Oh, each like other a out. mock trial? <laughs> yeah. You want to do a mock trial radio show? Uh, that's gonna be interesting. You're gonna make all these ladies mad because they're gonna think about all the preparation that goes into it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we did have a mock um, reenactment of the Vincent Trin trial at, really? at our um, at the conference. Oh, it was actually really interesting because it was actually like 
snippets of the transcript and we had people playing the certain parts and reading them and it was it was kind of intense oh it was um you're right it it was uh, a judge in new york uh, judge jenny chen had gone through the uh, actual trial transcript and pulled out some of the some of the information is that the dvd johnny's holding up is that well this is the actual documentary about the uh, vincent ching and so what we did was the trial the murder trial right uh, of we should of the two people probably mentioned Vincent who <laughs> <laughs> yeah she probably don't um, Debbie you, you can probably talk about more than yeah um, Vincent the uh, murder of Vincent Chin uh, happened in I believe it was in 1980 it was in the 80s maybe 82 yeah I think it was 82 um, he was um, it was the eve of his wedding he was uh, at a bachelor party and uh, this was in Detroit um, and he was at at a strip club and uh, words were exchanged with some other with two other people a father's son and then that uh, argument went outside and it led to them killing or murdering uh, Vincent Chin and uh, subsequently they were tried but they ended up uh, what was was it manslaughter uh, I don't remember the exact convictions, but they got very light sentences. I, I don't believe they spent any day in a uh, day in jail, and they were the fine was very low. Mm-hmm. And so then that because of that particular incident, it really um, brought the Asian community together mm-hmm. to um, form a civil rights movement. Right, absolutely. And I think the judge's uh, rationale behind it was that these people that actively went out and sought people and paid people to help track down Vincent after the altercation at the strip club. Um, I think the judge said that they didn't have an intention to kill, but only an intention to punish, which I think is just as bad if you're punishing somebody to the point, you know, with recklessness. And obviously they were inebriated that it leads to somebody losing their life. It's kind of ridiculous not to get a sentence. That's oh. a Yeah, I'm actually yeah. reading this um, uh, Wikipedia. I said uh, after the plea bar- bargain, uh, the charge got, got dropped down to a second-degree murder. Mm-hmm. No jail time, and given three years probation, fined $3,000, and ordered to pay $780 in court f- fees. That's it. And I believe there was actually a civil case after there that. There was a civil case yes. afterwards. Oh, wow. um, although uh, the mother didn't collect anything from these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she was so upset she went back to, um, I think it was Taiwan that she was from. Um, Am I correct? I thought it was mainland China. Was it mainland? Okay. I, I think so. Remember. Uh, what was interesting is before the murder of Vincent Chin, before this happened, um, the Civil Rights Act really didn't include Asian Americans. We mm-hmm. weren't a protected, we weren't part of that protected class. So after the Vincent Chin murder, at least we were included in, in that particular protected class. And kind of prior to that, there wasn't really the term Asian American. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody, it was like each group for themselves. You mm-hmm. had Chinese American and Japanese American, and um, this really did bring bring together a whole group of people, Mm -hmm. especially because, you know, prior to the murder, um, these, these, the people who ended up murdering him actually were referring to him as a, as a Jap. Yeah, Because they had mistaken him for someone who worked on, you know, who was a Japanese and was responsible for, you know, the kind of the decline of um, Mm -hmm. American-made cars. Because that was during the time when a lot of Japanese cars were entering the U.S. market. Right. And uh, And he was actually Chinese. Yeah. There was a mistake there. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, what was sort of, you know, what happened there in the 80s, it was during a bad economy. And, of course, you Mm -hmm. know, right now we, you know, we're just coming out from a bad economy. So, you know, we need to just be vigilant that this doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons one, one of the boards I sit on is OCA Cleveland, and uh, it's because of the um, advocacy, the civil rights advocacy that of OCA Cleveland that I became a member and then uh, joined the board. Right. And thank um, you for the plug. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but you know, it's kind of a somber note uh, to end the show on. So let's uh, talk about something more positive. Well, here's the positive part of it: um, the incident with Vincent Chang mm-hmm. um, brought out. Um, his um, aunt, Congresswoman Judy Chu. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they finally make an uh, make the United States do do apology to the U- for the Chinese Exclusion Act, which is basically speaking, any person who came to the United States from the 1800 all the way to 1960 or uh, 43, 
49, I believe, that you're not allowed to bring any of your family into the States. Mm -hmm. You can only come here by yourself. So th the Chinese Exclusion Act was lifted, released, and an apology was made on June 18, 2012. Well, that is definitely... Took a while. Yeah. Took a while. <laughs> Took a while. Absolutely. But um, all right. Well, thank you, ladies, uh, for coming in today. We're nearing the end of our hour. So we're going to end by uh, playing some more music by Arya Kumar, who was on our show a few weeks back with uh, Sapna Kumar. And uh, uh, Arya does uh, music composition. And Johnny, do you have his email address or website? Uh, Aryavartakumar.com, <laughs> which is A-R-Y-A-V-A-R-T-A-K-U-M-A-R.com. Yes. I think. So um, I think next next week we have Lisa Wong, right? Yes. Coming in to talk about the Cleveland Asian Festival. And after that will be uh, three different Asian band that we're going to interview who who actually going to be performing at the Cleveland Asian Festival that we're going to interview the three the bands. The Tone Lockers, right? Tone lockers? I have no uh, idea. He knows, but he's Filipino Alex band? knows, but Alex can hear us. Oh, I see. <laughs> just making all those jumpy, jumpy dance. And uh, oh, if you want to check out the Tone Lockers, they are on Facebook and they have a website, tonelockers.com. All right. Thank yep. you, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll see you or we'll talk to you next week. Thank yep. you for having us. Thank you. Take care. Asia Town Voice is an hour-long nonprofit program on WJCU's 88.7 FM. We're on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. This hour-long program provides an inside look at Asian Pacific Americans' community, their culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio.